0: The Velvet Hammer, an inside look at trial lawyer life with Karen Kohler, real life stories about fighting the good fight. Making mistakes is a huge fear factor for young lawyers. Well, I guess for all lawyers and for all people, making mistakes drives our behavior So much of the time we are so worried about making mistakes that oftentimes we won't even try, or we're so worried about mistakes and how embarrassed we'll be and how foolish we'll look that we give up too soon. If all we did was figure out how not to make a mistake, we would never be able to move forward in life. This isn't Plato. This is the world according to Karen. (laughs) I have been a flubber my whole life. I have made mistakes my whole life. I have uh, been worried about making mistakes and I've made them anyway. I've not been worried about mistakes and I've made them. Making mistakes is part of the fabric of my life. And I've given in to the reality that I will always make them. What doesn't happen with me is so much fear of embarrassment that I won't try. So much worry and anxiety that I won't take that step for fear that I will look foolish. I'm happy to look foolish. In fact, it's one of my specialties. I credit some of my ability to go with the flow to the hours and hours I used to practice piano. As a little kid, my mother wanted me to play piano. I loved to play piano. In fact, I had grand dreams of being in a band or being a concert pianist that eventually came to be dashed because my hands are so small I can barely reach an octave. And if you understand pianos... You have to reach an octave. In fact, it's better if you can reach more than an octave because you have to be able to reach the notes in between to make a chord for that octave. But for me, I had to pretty much roll my chords to make my octaves. Every year, there would be a recital or two or three or quarterly or however much the teacher or the class decided that there would be recitals. And in addition, in high school, I used to accompany people on various instruments, and we would sometimes play in front of the whole school. Um, Yes, I was that little piano-playing person. In fact, my first car, which was a green Chevrolet Nova hatchback, white. The hatchback was white with green below. I bought from my piano money that I made teaching piano, in uh, junior and senior years of high school. Well, doing those recitals um, meant that most likely you were going to make a mistake because you weren't a concert pianist and it was just going to happen. And you're also watching other people make mistakes, I would prefer to go earlier on the program than later on the program because what would in and and what is that word indelibly not indelibly undoubtedly undoubtedly happen would be that somebody would make a mistake and have a total meltdown they would not be able to pick up where they left off they would keep making the same mistake and then oftentimes they would just turn and look with extreme angst at the teacher or their parents or at the wall and run out of there. That always happened at least once per recital. It was always horrible, not for that person only, but for the rest of us that had to follow that person because then we realized that we could make the mistake and be that same person. Just this growing amount of fear. And so the nice thing about growing up with piano in my background was that I had to perform a lot. (laughs) And that's a good thing for a trial lawyer to do is learn how to perform, whether it's piano or I don't know, reading Shakespeare in the park, doing something where you're performing is really important because it teaches you how to keep going. Even when you make a mistake, there is no such thing as a perfect performance unless you're Vladimir Horowitz or some genius like that. So, I'd be playing the piece and always memorized. I always had to memorize my pieces. My piano teachers always required us to completely memorize our pieces all the way from when I was a beginner to when I, um, was not a beginner, um, always had to memorize the pieces. Some of them were, especially like a Beethoven sonata with four or five movements could be half an hour long, maybe not half an hour, but at least 20 minutes, which now that I think about it, how did I even do that? I hate memorizing anything, but I did. Invariably, I would forget something or make a mistake. Normally it involved fingers getting tied up and then having to continue on. And here were some of the strategies. One was to just keep going and pretend that you did it right. Okay. I I, I like that strategy. That was a really good strategy in my opinion. And Uh, as long as my boo-boos weren't too huge, keeping on going and just acting like you had it right the whole time. I think that that's the primo way to go. That's like the best way to deal with a mistake when you're there to perform for an audience. A second, not so great. Uh, when you really, really just completely blow it so bad that it is just, you can't even pick up, you apologize and you start from the beginning and you keep going now that runs some risk a you have anxiety because you're going to come up to the same place that you made a boo-boo at before and more likely than not you're going to make that same boo-boo either because you really can't remember it or because you have so much anxiety over it that you're just going to make the same mistake um that option would happen the other option of course is that you can get past it and keep going um but it's a gamble it's a 50-50 proposition If you start over at the beginning, plus everyone knows that you really, really blew it so badly that you had to start all over. What in life are you able to begin and then start all over? Not much. Uh, And it's only at the mercy of your audience. Sometimes a teacher won't even allow that. That's another strategy. And then the other third strategy is just to say, heck with it start crying and walk off. You don't have to do it again. You don't have to pretend you're just done. Okay. Well, taking these lessons forward, there is a lot of similarity in the practice of law in terms of when you are on that stage of the courtroom and you're either a arguing motion to a trial judge or an appellate judge, or you're in front of a jury and that judge uh, in the ultimate trial. most likely somewhere you're going to make some kind of a mistake. It may be very minor and it may not be very minor, but nothing ever goes perfectly. And even if you don't make the mistake, maybe the witness that is your witness makes a mistake and you have to cover for that witness or do something else. So what are the strategies when you make a mistake in court? I think that they're different depending upon your audience and your purpose. First of all, When you are in front of a judge on motion practice, something that's, jury's not there and your audience is a judge, the all-powerful, omnipotent person that is going to decide the matter, period, I think that you have to do things a little differently. Number one, I do believe in the keep on going approach, especially if it's not a big deal. And especially if you can wedge it in between other really big, important things, just keep on going. Don't let them see you sweat. It's very psychological. Don't let the other side see you sweat. If the judge wants to call and ask you about it, you can correct yourself when you go back to it, but don't pause and apologize and stumble and look embarrassed and uh, correct yourself. Don't do all that if you can avoid it. Especially if you, if you make the mistake and it's already in your rearview mirror. Just keep on going. You get the date wrong, it's right in the pleadings. Don't worry about it. Just keep on going. Nobody's perfect. Sometimes we make word mumble mumbles, bumbles, and the court's okay with that. The court's not perfect either. The other side, don't let them see you sweat. So I still think that the keep on going approach is is good in front of, of emotion, judge. I think so. Now, the exception is if you made a hideous mistake that is so wrong that it would impact the case, you need to go and deal with it. You just do. But if it's just a small little mistake, you get somebody's name wrong, get a date wrong, recite something wrong, don't go getting all worried about it and losing your train of thought and going back and scrubbing it clean or trying to, just keep on going. Part of the keep on going means that you can circle back and fix it that way also. You can weave it in later and do it correctly. But don't stop, stumble, mumble, turn red, wince, and show weakness Keep on going in strength. Along with the keep on going part is the face. I have an expressive face and, but I don't turn red. Some people turn really red. Uh, I don't know how you control that because I don't turn red. I've never turned red. I don't have red in me to do that. But a lot of people do turn red or they start sweating. I don't know how you stop that other than to learn how to deep breathe um, and try to control your heart racing. What I've learned from uh, the speech coach that I've worked with for decades now, Judy, Sean, is that so much of how you're able to speak and how your voice is able to modulate and how you're able to stay calm is through breathing, which sounds so elementary and yoga ish. And I objected to that when I first heard about it, but she's so right. Uh, She talks about starting on top of your breath and staying on top of your breath, meaning take a big breath before you begin And then you're on top of your breath if you can just keep breathing when you're speaking. But if you're taking little teeny baby breaths and you start speaking and you're behind your breath, that's when you start becoming red. That's when you start sweating. That's when you start losing your voice because you're kind of hyperventilating. You don't got enough air in you. So, and as a person who talks fast, I know, keep the breath where it's supposed to be right there so that you have full breath when you're speaking. I think that'll help the redness and the sweating, but I don't know. Cause I don't turn red. Um, there are other things that happen. A eye rolling as in eye rolling at yourself, which I do a lot of, I used to do a lot more of, I've gotten a lot better at it. Um, I still eye roll when, occasion, when occasionally when it, it's deserved to be eye rolled. Uh, but in general, and again, this is still arguing to the court. I try not to eye roll. I try not to eye roll when I'm speaking to show like, oh, what did I do? I try to I, not to eye roll when that defendant is speaking because the judges hate that. Judges don't like it when you eye, eye roll at your defense counsel. They just don't. I used to think that I could get away with it and I could, but they still didn't like it. So I've learned not to eye roll when the defense is speaking, even when it's driving me nuts. But I think that the biggest key of all to not panicking when you make a mistake in front of the court on emotion is the reassurance of the mantra that you have been telling yourself before you even begin. And what's the mantra? I have little mantras that I tell myself. Um, They're little, I don't know what they are, why I do it. They kind of keep me calm and they keep me focused and they go like this. This is the ones for the court. This is not about me. This is about my client. I am the mouthpiece for my client. I am here for my client. I am speaking on behalf of my client. Nothing that I say here is meant to be a reflection on me. It's meant to be a reflection on my client. I am the mouthpiece for my client. This is not personal to me, but it's personal to the client. It's my job to take care of my client. I'm speaking for my client. Let Everything I say be for the client. Let me help the judge understand my client's case. Thank you. So it's kind of like a mantra, which is client-based. This is for the client. I'm a conduit for the client to be heard. I'm here to advocate for the client, for the client, on behalf of the client, and not for myself. So take me personally out of the picture to the extent possible and let me focus on the job that needs to have to be done for the client because I don't matter. Am I embarrassed? It doesn't matter. Am I scared? It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that I'm here for the client. I have to do the job for the client as best as I can. So that's my mantra when I'm in court and just arguing on behalf of a client. That's at least my mental mantra. I think when you, when you take yourself out of the equation, when you quit focusing on yourself and the fact that you're the performer, Oh, it's all about me. It's all about, you know, what are people thinking about me? Oh my God, they're looking at me. Oh, this is going to really reflect on me. Oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. What's the judge going to think of me, 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 me. That's not what this is about. So, those are my thoughts on, on when you flub in court, if you flub, well, instead of focusing on like, oh my God, they, they all know if you flub, it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep going. And if an opportunity comes around that I can address that again for the client, I will. Otherwise it's no big deal. Let's keep going for the client. Rah, rah, rah. Cheer, cheer yourself on because you're cheering yourself on for your client. Flubbing is different in front of a jury. In some ways, I think flubbing is more real and honest in front of a jury. I think that when you're in front of a court, you have to put on more of a professional show. Um, but when you're in front of a jury, I think flubbing is very human and an opportunity to, con- to connect with the jury. So, Uh, I can remember jurors telling me at least once, and this is earlier on, maybe in the early 2000s. So 20 years or so ago that I was so slick. I was too slick. I was so smooth. i was so slick, blah, 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 blah. And I don't always believe everything jurors say, because if they like you, they say good things. If they don't like you, they say bad things. And you know, if you win, they like you. And if you lose, they don't. So there's some subjectivity there, but yet I do also think that there's some value uh, to listening to juries and the main value is that they're real people and they just went through a trial with you and they have opinions that have merit and there's no science to test those opinions, um, but they should be listened to. So when people more than once said that I was so smooth and so slick I realized I had kind of taken all the fumbling and flubbing out. Uh, There wasn't a lot of it. And because I was not flubbing enough, I wasn't connecting enough. It was me versus them, them watching this performer. And so I just reintroduced the flubbing. I just decided to let it just be there. I wasn't going to keep going in a way that I would do in piano so that, cause you know, obviously I flubbed. They just didn't know it because I just was going, I was just continuing on without showing that I'd flubbed and being super slick about it. I thought that that approach didn't work that great with the jury because it was depriving me of an opportunity to connect with them and connecting with the jury is super important. When you're a trial lawyer, if you don't connect with the jury, then you're just speaking at them. And you want to be speaking with them. You want their minds, bodies, and souls to be thinking and speaking alongside of you, even though they can't give voice during a trial. So for example, I have, um, you know, gotten people's names mixed up, or I ask a question and it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff, which, which happens. And instead of looking as if everything was great and just pushing forward, what I'll tend to do is just, you know, smack myself in the head and say, Oh my gosh, that just made no sense at all. Let me do that again. Um, I dialogue my way through that. I take them on the journey with me of flubbing. I don't just flub, recover silently, and keep going, although I could, I suppose. I'm talking. Um, And there's no law against that. Oh my gosh, this is over here. I meant to put it over here. Oh, I'm sorry. Just one moment. Oh, I can't. Okay, there it goes. I am very happy to flub in front of a jury. In fact, I think a trial without flubs is a trial that's not going to go well for me. <laughs> I think that the, the a flubby trial for me where I'm flubbing um, and I'm able to pick myself up each time and not cry and walk off not roll my eyes at myself and not get mad and not sweat and not turn red, which, you know, whatever. But just to be really comfortable. I'm very comfortable making mistakes and then correcting them. And that comfortability creates kind of a calmness, I think. It's a sense of, yeah, I mean, you know, this is a human experience. We're going through this trial, which is scary for all of us, but it's a human experience. And she, this lawyer, is no different from us. And she's not scared to show us that she can make mistakes. It takes the pressure off of everybody to feel like they have to be perfect. And it also shows them that I'm not so slick that I'm trying to hide things or manipulate them with this cloak of acting ability uh, that they believe probably goes into being a trial lawyer. I think another thing about flubbing in front of a jury is that not only does it show some humility uh, and humanness, but it shows strength and you might be thinking, well, how does making a big mistake in front of a jury and fixing it? How does that show strength? And it shows strength in the manner that you fix it. Um, it shows grit. It shows unflappability. It shows that you are on a mission. You don't care about the little things you are there for your client and you are moving forward. All qualities that are good for a jury to know. Know, you know, I mean, there are a lot of jobs that require a lot of people uh, in terms of a lot from people, um, a lot of really scary life and death situations. And being in trial is not a life or death situation, although it can, your clients' interests may be life or death to them. And certainly they can be life changing. And the risks that you're taking can be life altering. Of the highest order, being able to get through the fear of making a mistake will free you in your ability to practice law. Because if you fear making mistakes, whether in motion or trial or deposition Or whatever. I didn't even do the deposition mistakes. Your ability to grow as a lawyer will grind to a halt. You will not be able to progress. You will always leave something out. Nothing will ever be done 100% right. Because... That's the nature of civil plaintiff trial lawyer law. It's not perfect. It's not static, but you can get the job done as well as you possibly can. And that's the goal not to be perfect because if you're looking for perfection That's just going to create a lot of fear and anxiety and shut you down. So flub away, flub away all over and out.